Yo, 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 yo. What's happening? It is Sunday. I checked out my. I'm bringing in. Yo, yo, yo. All right. So here's the deal, Leo. We've tried this a couple times. Yeah. I want to make sure my internet works. You already froze, by the way. So just a heads up. There. Oh, my God. <laughs> Man, I rebooted everything. Right. I started. I don't know what's going on. I really don't. I, I don't know what's going on. I What's up, Carla Martin? How are you? Checking in. I My internet sucks. I'm probably going to cut off a million times, but I got to get a podcast on. Love it. Love it. Man, I'm so frustrated with this internet, this Wi-Fi. I'm going to freeze a lot. I'm going to let you know. If you're watching this, I'm going to freeze a lot. If you're listening, I will edit out the freezes so it will be flawless, hopefully. Yeah. Oh, I'm just You so- know what? It's good, man. You know, as long as the people know, people understand this. Everybody, everybody going through it between homeschooling and raising their kids and, oh. and you know, being in a – and it's about to get hot. It's, it's going to – if people thought they were arguing before, yeah. Imagine when this summer coming, you ain't got no AC. It's about to get real. It's about to get real, Michael Yo. Man, my internet came down with Corona. <laughs> but you fought it like a like a boss. Come on, I son. Fought, wait, I fought it like a boss in ICU for eight days, but my internet is like, nah, man. <laughs> Corona's too strong for me. My mic is stopping because it's like, why are you breathing on me? Right, right, right. I'm surprised you don't have plastic over the mic, you know? My mic asked for it. My mic was yeah. like, yo, put some plastic on me, son. Like, now, right. now, the LaCroix, is that is that a part of the health care plan? Is that is that, you know Am- is that Anthem Blue Cross approved? You know what? I, uh, I'm i interviewing this doctor. She's really good. She wrote a couple books, and she's all, she's a dietitian. For, she was a dietitian for the Lakers in Golden State yeah. Warriors. Yeah. And uh, I got so many questions I want to ask her uh, just about health, like immune. She uh, we kind of talked today and she was talking about vegetable oils like that's the killer. She goes, it's crazy how all food and I'm saying this in quotes are healthier. They're taking out the fat, but yet people are more obese. And she goes, it's all about they're hiding the bad stuff and the good food, like vegetable oils. She's like, you can get all this fat. You're getting the wrong type of fat. So I I, I don't want to, I know you know about nutrition too. I don't want to get into that on this podcast. That's going to be my next one. Mm -hmm. But if you're watching this stream, it's going to cut out. But if you want to leave a comment, I will read it during the podcast and give me a lot of thumbs up and leave a lot of comments and we'll read them on the air. But Leo Flowers, man, um, man. what can I say about you? Comedian, therapist, trainer. Uh, There's so much to you. You probably... I want to say one of the smartest people I know, but I don't know many smart people, so I don't know if that's saying much. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> um, you know, I, I want to start with like, like what? So people know when you give advice on a therapy side, they know it's real. What makes you a person that kid? Did you get a degree in it? Like, tell me, tell the people some history so they know when you actually give advice, they know it's really true and they can listen to it, and you actually get hired for this kind of stuff. I have a master's in counseling psychology, and as part of my internship, I started out counseling inmates and married couples. So I was counseling inmates and married couples uh, in the beginning. And then even before that, I worked in a group home for kids uh, for three years while I was uh, in college. So I got to work hands on with kids who had emotional disturbances, behavioral uh, who were behaviorally disruptive, theft, things like that, and and got to, to got to work with them and teach them uh, coping skills and 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 stress skills on on how to manage their emotions and, and behaviors and and work on the way they they saw the world and and so like their thinking. You, you know, when they say life is is ninety percent mental, it really is. It really is about changing how somebody perceives a situation versus what the situation actually is. So after I worked with uh, 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 inmates and married couples, I then got into uh, life coaching because they just gave me more, they gave me more latitude. So 
But uh, but I, the experience that I had from counseling married couples and, and inmates like people who were struggling with like wanting to take their life, couples who wanted to divorce, couples who were just trying to figure out how to communicate better uh, with each other and helping them through that. I mean, most vo- relationships could be saved if people just knew the, the some of the basic principles of communication. And, and and once people learn how to communicate better, not with just other people, but also with themselves, uh, it makes life, you know, 10 times easier. I mean, I've learned how to stay in a great relationship. You just say yes. When they say <laughs> something, you just say yes. I mean, whatever they say, it's yes. You you are absolutely correct. Like That's my wife right. can say, my wife can say the sky is pink. I go, you know what? It looked kind of pink today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I if I do this, if yeah. I do this long enough, and then yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I hit myself in the face a couple of times, right. yeah, it looks right, pink. Right. Yeah, it looks yeah, pink. Yeah. What do they say? Too early. <laughs> yeah. Happy wife, happy life. That's what they say. And I'm and I'm all about that life. Now I do want to talk about like when you were a therapist in prison. Yeah. Were there, I mean, I'm sure there were a lot of times where people would make you mad because they tell you everything, things they've done to people, yeah, crime stuff, right. uh, you know, killing people, maybe raping somebody. Yeah. How, how do you separate that where you don't get angry and want to physically beat down a person that's telling you, yeah, I raped this kid or uh, I raped this woman, I murdered this woman, or I murdered this dude. How do you separate that? That's a great question. And uh, it's one of the reasons why I like I, I try to limit the amount of news that I watch, you know, because the the, the way you can separate it and, and sit in the pocket and really listen to their story and still want to help them move past it is one. Um, you know that one day they're going to get out. And so, you know, I can get mad and angry and, and be like, this person's a horrible person. But they, they might just have like a five year sentence or a 10 year or 20 or so. I'm the last line of defense. That's how I have to think of it. It's like if I can't help this person process and look at life differently, then they're going to go back out into the world. The same person, if not more violent and, and, and more threatening. Uh, so I took it. I took it very seriously. Um, the second thing is, is that they're not just telling you that. Right. This is when um, you're actually getting the backstory. So like when you watch the news and you hear about like, you know, the Ahmad uh, Arbery case or or any case where you hear about somebody committing a crime, um, all you get is that snapshot of their life. And it's very easy to react to that snapshot. You you, you know, you, you see just the image and it's easy to get all up in arms. But once you hear the backstory, once you hear about their childhood, once you hear about how they were abused, how they were beaten, how they were neglected, how 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 they were how their trust was was broken so many times, um, and how they were mistreated by the the the, the system, you know, uh, even before they became a criminal, how the system just came in and destroyed their lives before. You you do develop on some level an understanding. Now the understanding of what they've done. Doesn't mean that you you're you're um, you're condoning what they've done, and I think that's what we've taken out is we're so afraid of looking like we're condoning a behavior that we're not even taking the time to understand a, the behavior. Okay. You know, well, I don't want to catch you off, but let yeah, you, yeah, you brought right. up you brought up a mod, yeah, right, yeah. and. To me, it was pure racist. I don't know all the facts, but just on the outside looking in, it seems racist. Now, I have a son that's three. He plays with all color kids. They don't yeah. know racism, so it's right. taught. Yeah. How much accountable are those kids when they were brought up like that? Like those two gentlemen, like mm-hmm. the son and the father. Right. Because I always say this, and I think we said this the last podcast. I actually talked about this on Rogan the other day. Racism, when people say racism is gone, that's just that's just unrealistic. It doesn't even make sense why racism is gone. Because you hear black people say 400 years, right? That's really, if everybody lived 75 years, let's just say everybody lived 75 years. Yeah, That's just five people. Now, let me, let me break, I want to break this down for a lot of people. If Let's go back 400 years. And let's say everybody lived 75 years. That's 350 years or 375 years, something like that. So, that person that's racist, 
their kids are going to be racist because they had slaves just 200 years ago, 300 years. So that next generation. Froze, Michael. We're going to start. What, what's the song from the what's the song from the movie? Froze? Am I back, Leo? Am yeah, I you're back? back. Yeah, you're back. All right. So I'm picking up. So that's three people. Yeah. Now I've gotten to three people. So my dad is four. My yeah. dad is black. Yeah. He went through racism and he went through racism to get a PhD in nuclear physics. Yeah. So there was still racism. So that's that's four people right there. Me is the first generation I feel that is turning the corner. The younger kids, I think, are even better than us. Mm. And, you know, there's always going to be racism. But like my thing, it's probably four to five people beyond us where the world is a much better place for racism, where everybody's treated more equally. But like you said, you have a stand up bit where you're like, well, then people are going to pick Zodiac signs. Right. And go after each other. You know, there's always going to be some type of racism. Right. But as far as skin color, I feel that's. Ah, uh, man, he froze. He froze again, yo. And you are almost back. You, your, your I, video, back? I can hear you, but your video still frozen. This sucks ass. Can you hear that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. Oh, okay, oh. good. I got are you. Are you serious? Is it that bad? I mean, you just got back. Just at right this moment. I feel like. <laughs> Like Aladdin. What, what is this? <laughs> Back. This is horrible, man. This is horrible. So that's what I'm saying, man. I, I think that I think skin color racism is still another five, six, four to five hundred years away. But it'll be something else. It'll be classism then. Right. You know? Right. 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 And, so. and and you're right. Is will there always be a division amongst people? Yes. Whether we're talking about race, where we're talking about socioeconomic status, whether we're talking about uh, athletes versus nerds. Like, I mean, high school is a complete microcosm of, of what the world is like. Like, we all want to sit in our different groups, and sometimes there's going to be uh, tribal fighting, and then sometimes we're going to be in tribal fighting. I mean, that's just that's the way it's always been. Uh, throughout the world, we're not just talking about America, but, you know, in terms of how do we address it? How do we handle it? How do we look at this? It's like, you know, because we started this conversation up with the Ahmad uh, Arbery case is um, does there need to be justice? Do these men need to be put in jail? Absolutely. However, it can't stop there. Just because we caught the people who committed the crime and put them in jail, that's not complete justice. Complete justice is then looking at the culture of where they were raised. Because like, like we talked about it, like th those men weren't raised in a vacuum, right? We have to look at their family system. We have to look at the neighborhood. We have to look at the city. We have to look at the state. What are all the contributing factors that led up to this moment? It didn't happen in a bubble. And so when we start to have those conversations, that's when we can really start to peel back the layers and, and make a real dent in, in the division that we're experiencing on some level. But can't you say it did happen in a vacuum? Because if you're from that area, he's from like there were lynchings. They were known for lynchings in the South in Georgia, you know. So if you've always lived there, never ventured out. So you are in a vacuum and that's the way you were raised. Well, what, what I mean is that the the nature of that that area, of that city, of that neighborhood is, is partly the result of what's happened around it. So take, for instance, Detroit, right? Like Detroit was this hustling, bustling city. And then, uh, you know, the factory shut down. And as a result of the factory shutting down, uh, unemployment skyrocketed. And now Detroit looks nothing like it did way back in the day. And, and that effect started from outside of Detroit. It didn't happen in Detroit. It was a, a shift in what the nation and what the world was going through. People started buying more foreign cars. And so something that happened globally had an effect locally. And we see that happen time and time again. So that's what they mean when they say we have to look at the system. We have to look at all the contributing parts that led up to a moment. And, and that's how we're going to make a we're going to make a difference here. OK, so. It's just so frustrating, this racism, because I grew up with it. You grew up with it. We've all experienced it. And when you I think it puts it in perspective when I see my son at a playground 
They have no sense of color. They're just having yeah. fun with kids. And that just yeah. makes me so angry that there are people out there teaching this. And that's what, that's the thing. It can be prevented, but there are yeah. people out there that are just teaching this, you know? And, and, that's and what, yo, I'm glad you brought up something that's, that's very powerful. You, you brought up the emotion of anger. And, and that's the face that we usually see in the news. People upset, people protesting, people very angry. On the flip side, you know, like you said, I'm from Chicago, I'm from the north side. I've had cops harass me. I've had gangs harass me. Uh, I, I've experienced racism on, on different levels. And at the end of the day, I think that what got me into mental health and got me into psychology and got me into work with working with people is even as a young kid, when I when I saw the, the cops and the way they would talk to me and try to harass me after school and what gang are you in and what drugs do you do, I always always felt sad. That was always my first uh, emotion. It wasn't anger. I always felt sorry for them. I was like, here you are, you're an adult, I'm a kid, and the best part of your day is having this conversation with me. Like, this is this is where you decided at your age of 43, 44, you, you got, you're married, maybe you have kids, maybe you don't, and, and this is the thing that excites you. There's a sadness in that, and, and, and when we start talking about not just the anger that people feel, but the sadness that that people feel now, now we can open up a broader discussion yeah. and get into something deeper. But that's a harder discussion. No, no guy wants to walk around and says, I'm sad. You know what I mean? Like, that's not a that's not a guy emotion. But when yeah, we tap I mean, into that, it creates a more diverse communication. Yeah, it does. It it does. I, I guess I use anger because I ain't walking around like, oh, I'm so angry. It's just like, <laughs> I'm, yeah, anger is around. House, yo. <laughs> yo, I know. What you doing? Why y'all doing? No, it's more of like just frustration. It's like, haven't we learned anything? Like, we keep falling to the same shit mm. over and over again. And, mm. and that's the thing that's so upsetting. It's just, yeah. we keep, it's almost, it just goes around in circles. You know, it's just the same shit over and over. And nobody gets any better. And and here's a and I, I said this before too, but like when my when people say it's not better than when it was, it is a lot better because my dad experienced when it was a. Yeah, 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 froze again. That's why there are no people. Let me know when I'm back. Oh yeah, you back. Yeah. You back. So as black people, we need to stop saying, you know. I it's no better than when it was because my dad would be the first one to tell you, Oh yeah, it is. You can go to <laughs> restaurants. You're not banned from restaurants. People just can't pull. I mean, they still can pull you over, but they could do a lot worse things. Too. I mean, they look, there's instances where shit happens today and it's horrible, but that happened even more back then. Yeah. Cause it was open season. You know what I mean? Well, like, you know, like when people, my dad said, when people protest today, they know pretty much they're going to come back alive. Mm, mm. You know, when he protests, you didn't know. Mm -hmm. You did not know, mm -hmm. you know, because they could do anything to you if you were black protesting back then. Throw rocks at you. Do all. At least there's some sense of, I don't want to say respect because there's no, people don't really respect each other, but nobody's going out to like try to hurt you when you protest a lot mm. of times in mm. America where it was open season back then. Mm. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, are there moments where I get angry? Absolutely. But one of the things that helps me to, to cope with what I see and what I hear and what I read about is, you know, just stepping outside the doors and seeing life being lived to see, you know, I, I, me and my girl went to a farmer's market today. Like nobody was trying to bump into me or hurt me or or yawny thing at me. That's, it was all that's the softest the place market. in the world is a farmer's market. <laughs> if, you get, if you get beat down in a farmer's market, you deserve that shit. If somebody whoops your ass yeah, at a yeah. farmer's market. Yeah, everybody in flip-flops and, and hamster. <laughs> <laughs> you got your ass whooped at a farmer's market? <laughs> the softest people on earth. That's right. That's right. That's right. They, they carry an heirloom tomatoes, and you still he, he ain't even put the tomatoes down. He was still holding it. <laughs> he beat your ass with a flip flop. That's what he did. <laughs> a Tom shoe upside your head. A Tom shoe, <laughs> right? 
it was recycled. It was recycled. recycled. Yeah, yeah. Beat your ass wouldn't have been recycled. Recycled plastics. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. So, but you know, when you, you know, when you, when you go to these events, you know, you and I, we went to Joe Coy's concert, man. Yes. And 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 here's a guy who is Filipino. He sold out two arenas in Los Angeles, and it just wasn't Filipinos there. There were black people, white people, Asian people, Filip- Latinos, like all the people of different ethnicities and different socioeconomic statuses coming together. We all came in and real cordially, and we all left cordially, and there was no beef. And so when we see that type of public display of love and that type of public display of, of cooperation, and unity and, and people coming together to see one person. That's the beauty of sports. You know, we, we talk so much about the violence of football, but, but, you know, you go to a game, man, and we're, we're all on the same team, right? We all got the same Jersey on. We're all waiting in line. There is no like, Hey, who'd you vote for? You know, it's like, Hey, you're here. I'm here. We're all good. You know? So we, we have to also remind ourselves to look for evidence of 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 unity and evidence of of cooperation isn't it crazy that a lot of people that are racist outside of sports like like sports like you said i know like as being comedians we know racist people but they cheered for the same team you did and they were filled with black players that's what's so amazing to me is that you know like sports there's certain comedy sports there's certain things that will break the barrier we both I've taken you to places that are super racist, you know, towns that are racist. But when they leave the show, like they even come up to you and go, I remember and I I remember, I I don't know if you were there or not, but five people in Trump hats came to my show. And I'm not saying Trump people are racist, but it's not looking good. Uh, But these five guys came up to my show, five guys in Trump hats front row at my show with their wives. And after the show, and this is what I think it is. You talked about anger. They said, I've never had someone speak to me in a way and told their story, but didn't blame me for their story. But I understood it was part of my people. Like, I didn't have to, you white people do this, you white people do that. I just told my story. And they were like, oh, we did that. You know what I mean? And that's what I found. You know, I think... You know, I want to hope that comedy, you know, I think comedy is like Dave Chappelle says, it is a voice that a lot of people can relate to. It can piss off a lot of people, but there's different comedians that can, I feel like, you know, touch people that wouldn't necessarily listen to you either. Mm. You're kind of people. And I'm saying that in quotes too, Mm. because it takes a certain person to talk to another person that says, here's my story. I'm not blaming you for it, but I'm letting you know what I went through and I'm not putting you putting it on you, but I just want you to understand my story. And I think that gets lost. What happens is we just yell at each other and we, instead of, we, we say white people, we say black people, we say Asian people, we say Mexican, Latinos, but we don't, the, the proper way to say it, some white people. Some black people do this. Some like I, I feel that the the thing that always stands out to me. One of my friends was watching the news, white guy, and he goes, "Why every time I turn on the news, I feel like they're blaming me." Every time you turn on the news, some white guy is doing something to some ethnic guy, and he goes, "They don't, they don't ever. They make it seem like all white people are like that." And I disagree with. I I, I totally understand that side, but then on the on the reverse, it's like, why you turn on the TV every time and there's a black dude going to jail? Or doing something bad. It's just the way the media paints things. And it's just the way we're used to seeing it. So it's going to take generations for that cycle to break. Well, you know, you brought up a good point in that it's about telling our story. And instead of letting the news tell our story, right? It's important for us. Like, you know, wherever the, you know, Ahmad Aubrey case took, there's, there's so many different stories in that city of racial unity and cooperation that we're not going to hear because, it, it, it's it, you know it's not going to get the publicity that that this uh, is receiving, um, and and there's so many stories like that you know throughout the world, and it is it's just about like you know one of the the top podcasts is called the Moth, and the Moth podcast is where people are just telling their story, 
And that's what we love in the book uh, Homo Sapiens by Yuval Harari. He says the, the two things that uh, there are two things that unite um, uh, this human species and why we've been able to thrive for so long. One is our ability to uh, to connect interspecially. I don't know if that's the right word, but basically we're the, really the only species that can work with horses, dogs, bears, cats like we can we can work with different animals and not just ourselves. And so that like bears aren't working with lions. Right. Um, but the second thing is, is the ability to tell stories like, it, you know, you're uh, you're a, a Miami Hurricane fan. Yeah. If you met another Miami Hurricane fan, no matter what their race was, where they were from, what their backstory is, you two immediately would connect. He could be from, uh, you know, Uzbekistan or Sri Lanka or, you know, uh, Karachi, Pakistan. And if he said he was a Miami Hurricane fan, because you believe in the story, in the history of the hurricanes, you would immediately connect. You see that with religion. You see that with sports. You see that with food. It's like, oh, you're a vegan. I'm a vegan. You speak the same language. And so that's, you know, we're, we're so caught up in the stats. But the connection is made in stories. And, and, and going back to relationships is, you know, if you think about the things that destroy your relationship, it is the person you always talk about don't keep score. Well, I did this and you did that. Well, I did it three times. You did it once. So those are stats. Those are numbers. And, and when we throw those stats out, it's easy to divide uh, people in a country in a relationship. But when we tell our story, when we talk about why I did what I did, when we talk, when we share the, the story of our childhood and, you know, this happened to me when I was three and then when I was eight, and then when I was nine and, and some of that's showing up for me right now. Now we can have compassion for each other instead of anger. He goes back to you asking me, how was I able to sit there with, with, with uh, you know, these inmates? You know, in my head, I have to call them inmates. I could call them criminals. But if I call them criminals, I'm already passing a judgment. These are people who, who I, I can't even imagine their childhood. Like I said, I worked in a group home. So I've, I've seen the before. I've seen the before. And if nobody gets to them, you know, between their childhood and adulthood, you know, the, 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 you know, going back to stats, it doesn't look very good for them. So it's, it's knowing the backstory. So us sharing our story that allows us to have compassion and have a conversation with each other. Well, I do want to, about sharing stories, I want to do ask you about your story. I know yeah. a couple of times uh, you've mentioned, you've actually called the suicide hotline, right? Yeah. The, yeah. So yeah. I want to know what led you to do that? Were you troubled? Because it's interesting to me, you give, you do therapy, but yes. yet you've been through it too, where you were yes. actually the one calling the hotline. Yes. How did, how did it get to that point when you studied this, you know this, mm -hmm. and you still fell into a place where you had to call a hotline? You know, it's, it's one of the things where, uh, why do personal trainers become personal trainers? Usually, uh, they have some type of eating disorder or uh, they have some type of backstory where now uh, they, they, they can only control their body and what they eat. And so now that's what they do. So a lot of times people who get into the, into helping professions have a backstory of, of trouble, of neglect, of some type of abuse. And, and uh, so for me, it was, you know, my father was, in and out of my life as a kid. And I had always felt like a burden to my mom and always felt like my dad didn't really love me. And there were some things that happened when I was in college that just kind of in my head solidified that. I was like, man, I don't understand how my father who who wanted me, and it's not like I was a, a accidental child. He actually wanted me as a son, had me. And then I was like, well, how are you not around? Um, and to, to watch my mom struggle. Um, and then I just had some other incidences with other people where my trust was broken over and over again. So I struggled with trust. Uh, I struggled with feeling uh, uh, lonely, uh, like a burden. And it just these moments of, of hopelessness. And the, the way I could describe it to people is like depression is uh, 
you're you're so overwhelmed with emotion that you then go numb. So so depression is really a, a overwhelming uh, feeling of emotion that you, you now you don't know what you're feeling and, 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 and nothing tastes the same and music doesn't sound the same. Suicidality, though, is a different thing. Suicidality is it's it's uh, and it's been described like this in books and it's how I describe it. It feels like a flare up. It feels like it's a feeling like you're in a burning building and the only option is to jump. And but nobody but the people on the ground are telling you don't jump. But the people on the ground don't see the flames. And that's the only way you can describe it. It's this internal flare up and you don't know when it's going to hit you. You don't know why it's going to hit you. Uh, It just it just it hits you like a sandstorm uh, in Africa. And, but but uh, let me let yes. me ask you, how do people get to that point? Because, look, I've never been in a depressed state. The only right. time I've right. ever got depressed is when I was in that hospital fighting for my life because yes. you just don't know. And I wouldn't yes. even say I was depressed. I was like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I was sad, yes. definitely sad. I could never see my family again. Yes. But how do people get because, look, I don't. I don't know a lot of people in a depressed state right now, right. I guess you would say. Yeah. I kind of hang around people like me, positive, yeah. upbeat. You know, uh, I probably wouldn't, have, not to be a dick, but I probably wouldn't have hung around with you when you were calling that hotline, you know? No, because glad you I said that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we all look for people that kind of vibe with us. Yeah. But I'm sure people that were on that level where you were, Yes. Would hang out with you, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, how does a person get to that level? And there's no disrespect when I'm asking this. I no, know everybody I'm, I'm, got their journey, I know everybody got their struggle, but what was it that got you that point? Because I want everybody watching this and everybody that's listening to the podcast to understand. Because I gotta be honest, when I was younger, much younger, maybe 20 years ago, I thought if I heard the word depressed, I go, Oh, that's on you, like that's just you not having a that that it, I don't want to say it's made up because I don't want to drive people crazy. But this is years ago. This is 20, 25 years ago. I was like, oh, they just sad. And they mm-hmm. using depressed for it. Like everybody's sad sometimes, right. you know, and, and, I, and I'm definitely learned a lot since then. And I don't believe that anymore. And I know it's a journey to get to the point of being depressed where you got to call a suicide hotline. But how did that journey, because you've interviewed all these people, you've helped these people. How does that journey usually start? Is it at home with no parents from a broken home? Is that how it usually starts? You you know, there's usually there is, it's not so much about what happens to you as much as it's your perception of what happens to you. So that's why you'll hear about kids who grew up in a wealthy home with both parents uh, uh, ending their life. You hear about poor people who grew up in the worst uh, type of circumstances and they had this robustness about them. And, uh, you know, th- like it's, it's almost like nothing happened. Like it was, you would think they had the best childhood and were born with a silver spoon in their mouth. So it's not necessarily uh, environmental or context related as much as it's perception related. It's your perception of what your circumstances mean. It's, it's your perception of what that smile meant, of, of what that hug meant, of of what the absence meant, of, of what the presence means. Um, I give an example, um, you know, going back to when I was a kid in nine, I remember specifically having this thought of if my mom didn't have me and my sister, she would live a much better life. Now, where does that that thought come from? Nobody put that thought in my head. That was just a thought I had. And, and I remember having that thought. And then I remember specifically making it a point to be as less, least of a burden as possible to my mom so that because I'm watching her work, I'm watching her try to put food on the table. She's sending us to a Catholic school. I'm watching the amount of money she has to spend and all she has to do. Um, and, you know, there was, you know, <laughs> as a when, when you say what was the one thing, it's an accumulation of things. Uh, I'll give you the sex, second example. When I was nine or 10, my mom also told me that uh, she might lose her job. And as a result, she might have to prostitute herself. I'm nine and 10 years old. When you and she hear told that, you that he told me this on the phone. Right. Wow. So when you hear that as a kid, I remember thinking, man, if my mom has to to work, 
uh, has to quit her job or gets fired, has to walk the street. I'm going to be embarrassed. My boys are out there on the street. And I was like, I don't want my mom to do that. And I was like, when we were in Catholic school at the time, I was like, just take me out of Catholic school. Like if putting us into the best school in a neighborhood uh, is putting this much of a drain on you, I'd rather you take us out and then use that money to like pay bills or, or whatever you have to do. And, and Michael, I've had a job ever since then, ever since I was nine, I was cleaning houses. I was mowing lawns. I was selling magazines. I worked at Popeye's fried chicken. I would go after school. I was, I was going to football practice and holding uh, sometimes depending on, on the time of the year, not during the season, a full-time job. I did everything in my power to make sure that I was not the reason why my mom had was to a walk prostitute. Yeah, yeah, you know. So, and and like I said, there were so many other these cumulative things where my my best friend, the guy who I thought was my best friend, just did the most like the craziest stuff and put me in harm's way. And I just could not believe that somebody who I broke bread with went to that house for Thanksgiving. So it, it was an accumulation. Of, of things that, and there's some biological factors too, that people who, uh, it, it, when they talk about psych, they call it psych ache. It's, it's different than a headache. Like a headache is like this throbbing right here in the front or in the back, or there's like a sharp pain. But a psych ache, it, it, it feels like like a balloon swelling. I talked about the flare-ups and feeling like there's like this internal fire. It's like a, a flare-up that happens. And the, the first time I called the 1-800-SUICIDE uh, hotline was when I, it was one of those days. You ever have one of those days where you got everything you wanted, where you were just firing on all cylinders? You're like, this happened, that happened, knock that out. Life is great. And I still had a flare up. And wow, that scared okay. the hell out of me because in my head, I was like you. I was like my depression, these flare ups. It's because I'm not living a life I want. I'm not getting the things done I, I, I want to get done. And when I had that day where I was like, hell yeah. And then I was like, oh, it's still here. It's and, and that scared me, yo. I, I, when I tell you, man, I can't I, I think I cried like three or four times. I was like, I don't know how to handle this. And then, uh, I, you know, I started the podcast. Because Rashawn Salam, you know, I play football, you play, you play football, we both play college football. Rashawn Salam played, I forgot who he, he played for Colorado. And Heisman Trophy winner, then played for the Chicago Bears. And then at the age of 30, ended his life. Wow. And, and this was a guy, smart guy, funny guy, had a, had a good background as far as I knew. I mean, I don't know, you know, the specifics of, uh, and at the age of 30, took his life. And it always baffled me because you don't really get the context in the news stories. You don't get the backstory. Years later, I ran into a friend of his and uh, and I was like, you have to tell me why he ended his life. I, I, I can't believe it. Like he had all the things that if I had it, I think I would have been happy. I, I would have no more depression. And he said he didn't know how to take care of himself. As in what? And like diet, like, so, oh, like, you know, and when, when people come to me, because uh, I life coach also, I have the podcast when people that as adults, you know, as children, we learn so many things. We learn uh, the state capitals. <laughs> we learn, you know, two plus two is four. We learn colors, et cetera, et cetera. What we don't really learn is how to take care of ourselves. We don't learn um, how, how long should we nap for? How much sleep is enough sleep? We don't learn uh, proper communication skills. Like, do I use I versus you versus we? Uh, we don't learn how to connect with somebody else. You know, a lot of times in relationships, people will say they just don't listen to me. Well, what are they? Are they doing this? Why are you <laughs> talking? No, they hear what you're saying. It's just they're not processing it in a way that makes you feel heard. So we don't learn how to just not communicate with other people, but how to communicate with ourselves and how to, how to frame things. So like, you know, for instance, you know, there's growing up and I'm sure you heard this. Don't go to bed angry. Right. Yeah. Well, and, that's, me and my wife do that. Like right. we will never go to bed. 
And, but it's always framed in the context of a relationship. Yeah. But to extrapolate it and expand on it even more, what they really mean is don't watch the news before you go to bed. That's going to make you angry. Don't watch TV shows or, or a Michael Moore documentary. Don't listen to music that's going to like, don't get emotionally charged up before bed. But a lot of us do that. And then we yeah. wonder why we can't sleep. And then we wonder why we feel like crap the next day. And then we wonder why we're yelling at our spouse and then why we're overeating. So when we talk about depression, when we talk about suicidality, when we talk about divorce relationships, we're always talking about when we're talking about the shooting of Ahmad Arbery, what we're really always talking about is an accumulation of things. And until we start having a conversation of what are the factors that contributed to this? What, what are the accumulating factors that led up to this argument? When we start to peel back the layers, that's when we start to connect more. And that's how we build bridges. I tell you, I can't even watch the news anymore. Right. You know, and for the people listening, I don't care what side you're on. It's just, it's so, like to me, you don't, you always don't understand the other side. Like, especially like, I, I just get, I'm just angry that facts don't matter anymore because people can twist facts. You know what I mean? And that's, that's what I hate about watching the news is if I turn on CNN right now, I know they'd be yelling about testing. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's true. And Donald Trump, you turn on Fox. Why do we need tests? Well, obviously you need tests to find out where everybody has this at so you right. can combat it. And, you know, like people are starving. People don't have jobs anymore, you know, and I think what people forgot was this stay at home order was for the government to figure their shit out. But the problem is they didn't. So you're still at home. Like that was the whole thing. They told people to stay at home to, to kind of limit the disease, make sure the hospitals weren't overthrown with people and they were in, give them time to make a plan. Right. The problem is two months later, there's still no plan. Mm. And now people are like, yo, we gave you two months of our lives. I'm starving. I'm not making money. My family's going under. And it's because of you guys. Mm. And if you're a Republican, then you're blaming the governor. If you're a Democrat, you're blaming the president because you're like, well, the president runs everything. So why isn't this happening? You know, so I think that's what people the conversation really needs to be about is instead of this Republican, this president, it's more of, look, as a community, look, I had COVID. I almost died from COVID, you know, but I still know we need to get back to work and we need to do it safely. But we also need guidelines, uh, a full country of guidelines that that the country follows, because right now you pass by Walmart, you pass by Target lines are down the street to get in those places, but you're telling me a mom and pop shop can't open up when you, so, so Democrats are yelling about big business, you know, Republicans funding big business and we need to get back to small business. Big businesses are still winning. Target, Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart, they're all open, all open. But the little mom and pop shops, they're not open unless they're just this, you know, unless they're just not obeying the law. And that's what confuses me. You can have 300 people in a store with a mask on, but you can't have a little cafe with five people with a mask on. Like somebody, please explain that to me. Cause that's where I'm confused about this whole thing. Like the big businesses winning again. And whether if that's the Republicans fault or Democrat fault, I don't know. I'm just telling you what I saw, you know what I mean? And that's, and that's, what's so frustrating to me right now and the news just highlights that even more because like i said i was watching the news and it doesn't matter when cuomo's on i love cuomo you know like uh the governor of new york Mm -hmm. if he says one line about trump you can disregard the hour and a half press conference he just had about facts and they will take that one soundbite and then that's the news for 24 hours that one soundbite about trump and then trump replies and there's your news story it has nothing to do with facts all day. And I'm talking about all networks. I'm talking about Fox. They'll take a clip that somebody said and they'll run that all day. You know, Trump can say anything and Fox will run it like it's fact. 
you know, and CNN will take something. It's salacious. They look for everybody's looking for the most salacious thing because that's what we love to watch. And that's what's so frustrating with the news. So you're right. All that to say you're right. When I don't watch the news, I haven't watched the news in two days. I'll read it here and there. I'll check in, see the headline. And if it if the headline angers me, I'm definitely not reading the article because I already know what it's going to be. I already know what it's going to be. So it definitely news definitely dictates my my mood. Well, you brought up you brought up two very important things. And, you know, talking about the news and I'm so grateful that I have a, an amazing girlfriend and we, we both had a discussion about like what are we consuming in terms of news, music, movies, television shows and making sure that we are we're digesting. You know, we're not just talking about making sure we're eating the right foods, but that we're reading the right foods and we're watching the right food. So uh, shout out to my girlfriend. She just bought us uh, uh, the master class, uh, you know, with all the all the, the thought leaders, the different chefs and uh, entrepreneurs and writers and and people who are at the top of their game. And we're just going to watch. You know, that's going to be our we watch billions also on Showtime. No, no sponsorship. I love that show. Uh, <laughs> but but Masterclass, you know, this is an opportunity for us to. And I'm not saying I want. First of all, I want to say I'm not. It's not that I don't watch the news at all. Of course, you have to be informed. But what I do do is I limit myself. I go, listen. All right. Twenty minutes a day. Uh, same time every day. And I usually do it in the middle of the day because first I want to make sure I primed my body through exercise. I prime my mind through meditation and journaling and reading something positive and self-affirmations. So I prime my body and my mind to make sure I'm ready to consume whatever I'm about to read. And then somewhere in the middle of the day, I read it so that I'm not going to bed angry. Um, And then, like I said, the second thing was like we watch informative stuff, things like, you know, uh, food docu-series or documentaries or you know, we're going to watch, start watching all, we're going to watch all the master classes just to, to fill our brain with, with knowledge and, and, uh, you know, different perspectives. It goes back to having an understanding and having a compassion and having some context for what's going on in the world. Uh, but then you also brought up, yo, and this is very important. You brought up the idea that, uh, you know, people are starting to, to funnel back out into the streets because we gave them time to come up with a plan. There doesn't seem to be one. And so now there's this confusion. There's this frustration that we feel. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing it on a macro level, but it also happens on a micro level. And what I mean is a lot of arguments in relationships take place because there hasn't been a new discussion on what the vision is. This, this quarantine is, is new for all of us. It, it almost happened overnight. This social distancing is jarring. People are homeschooling and, and now they're in tight quarters. Some people are, wor- are able to work from home. Some people can't work from home. And, uh, and a lot of people have not taken the time to sit down as a family unit and discuss what the vision is now instead of being in this fight, flight or freeze mode. Right. Get out the limbic system. Let's get back into our prefrontal cortex. And let's actually have a vision. What, what's our three month, six month, eight month, 12 month plan, irregardless of, of what the country does? Because if we play this, I'm just I'm going to wait to see what what the what the president wants to do or what the country is doing. Now we're kind of frozen. We're not now we're not taking any action and taking no action means you're going to go backwards because nothing not, not, not stays the same. Change is always a constant. So we need to always be communicating what the vision is, what our purpose is. When you watch these military shows, uh, what makes SEAL Team 6 so effective, what makes the, the Rangers so effective is that before they, they, they leave, before they, they step out and they go on their mission, they discuss what the mission is. They know exactly why they're there. They know exactly what the purpose is so that everybody is on the same team. And some people need to have this daily. Some people need to have it weekly. The more you work together, the less of these discussions you need to have. But you definitely need to sit down and discuss what the vision is so that everybody's operating on the same page. You know what's funny? I I remember you used to try to give me relationship advice. (laughs) And you were single. And I was married with a beautiful wife and kids. And you were like, yeah, but you need to do this. And I'm like, shut up, Mr. Single Man. (laughs) 
God, he just froze up again. Oh, I got it. Are we back? Oh, yeah, you back. Yeah, so I was like, I need to give you advice. You don't need to be giving me advice. <laughs> so it's good to see you have a girlfriend. I've never seen you happier. What I like about your girlfriend, I haven't spent much time, little time with her, but I haven't spent much. What I like, and this is what I'm going to tell everybody watching and that's listening to the pod, is no matter who you're dating, they need to make you a better person. Mm. And I think that's the most important thing. You need to have their interest and they need to have your interest. Where I think so many people get in relationships, especially when you're younger. That's why it's not going to work when you're younger. It's about looks. You know, my wife is beautiful, but it's more than beauty with my wife. You know, like I knew when I met my wife, this is how this is how great my wife is. When I first met her, I was like, this she would be an amazing mom. You know what I mean? That's the first, because she was so caring, so loving, so beautiful. And I was like, I was all about family at that time, you know? And it's like, you, it, it's, it's just something that's so special to come home and knowing somebody's at home that wants you to be a better person and that's right. helping you be better in your life. Yeah. And that's what's so incredible when you find the right person. And I would suggest anybody that's not in a great relationship right now. Breeze, he got you back. You back. My thing is, if they don't make you a better person, get out because then you're just kind of spinning your wheels in place. Yeah. So, I mean, that and Leo, I'm happy for you. Took you a long time, but uh, <laughs> but you know what? It, it goes back to vision, yo. In that, I, I, you know, like you said, when you're young, you're looking for the physical and. I, I I absolutely was like, I need to find someone that I felt that we were growing together. Like it was this consistent reciprocity. That's like, I've been in relationship. Reciprocity. God <laughs> damn. Reciprocity <laughs> mean? Hold on a second. I need to find a dictionary. Oh, no, I like to take credit for that. I had a therapist. Reciprocity. He woke up this morning, wrote down that word. Saying, Today, I am about to drop this on a podcast. Reciprocity. What does reciprocity mean, Leo? Well, re re consistent reciprocity means that we're constantly feeding each other. Like, I'm, okay. like it's a give and take, basically. And we are constantly just today, like, you know, we're, we're both taking online classes, right? Our whole our whole mentality behind this is growth. How do we grow during this uh, quarantine? That's our vision. That's our purpose. That's our mission. What it's online class are you taking? So I'm taking online guitar lessons, uh, oh, yeah. uh, sign language, because everybody's wearing a mask. So soon we're going to have to go ASL, you know, Um and then I'm also taking online Spanish lessons. And then we both have a, a couples therapist. And then I have an individual therapist. So what, what online Spanish class you taking? Uh, actually, it's a, she's in uh, South America. So it's not even a class. It's one-on-one -on -one for an hour. It's super intense. How many, how many days a week do you do it? Say it again. How many days a week do you do it? I just started. So I only had one lesson. I'm doing it twice a week. Because I, I did the Duolingo. It's not fun. It's garbage. It's not fun. It's actually like I was picking up a lot of words, but it's just not fun. And so you have to find a way to learn. You have to find a way to move and exercise. Like when people tell me they don't want to work out. All right. Well, do you want to dance? Do you like to garden? Do you like to fix cars? Like nobody likes to sit around. I refuse to believe that people just like to sit around. We just it's just about finding your mode of learning, your mode of movement that works. You need to find something you love to do. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I, I used to love boxing until I hurt my shoulder. Now I don't love it anymore. Right. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I just need to find something I love. You know, I loved Lift Society. I used to go to this place called Lift Society. Yeah. And I love weights. Yeah. You know, but I don't have weights anymore. So now it's like, what do I do? I'm just taking walks, just trying to stay healthy, get my get my lungs back because there's still kind of some fluid in it. So yeah. I'm just trying to get my bearings. But I just love listen. I know I'm a dude that just is a weight lifter. You know, it doesn't have to be heavy. I just like moving plates. Yeah. You know, that's my thing. You know, stretching school. I'm, I'm stretching more because I got more time. So I'm focusing on stretching. I'm trying to learn Korean and Spanish. So I'm trying to get, I had the master class, but I'm a type of dude, if I'm not interviewing you, I don't really want to hear your story. 
Like, because I want to, I want to ask my questions. Mm-hmm. I want to get the information to people. I think that's important. I don't just like people talking, but yeah. some people like that. I feel yeah. it reminds me of school. I hate school. Yeah. I don't like people. Just, <laughs> I'm just, and I was terrible at school. So I hate that too. Uh, so like, I know you're a trainer as well. You're a great trainer. You've trained me several times for people stuck at home. If you could give me two things they could do at home to, I don't want to say stay in shape because you got to do more than two things, but to stay fluid, like what can, what can they wake up and do? Or like, Hey, these are two or three things I got to do today to just stay good. I've heard burpees, but burpees is tough for a lot of people. You know what I mean? A lot of people. And it it could be jarring on your back too. If you're not really in shape and stuff. Yeah. Most people don't have the core strength or the shoulder mobility to do burpees. And my other problem with burpees is that we're already spending a lot of time in this forward position, whether we're on our laptop or we're on our cell phone. So our arms are always in front of us. So you start to see people with the yeah. hunched over shoulders. Yep. So we need to do exercises that open us up, that, that work on our posterior chain versus our anterior or front chain. Um, but what I do every morning, I do uh, six sun salutations and you can just YouTube that. But uh, I do a lot of mobility work. And it's Wait, six that, sun salutation? Is that meditation? Yeah, it's, like, it's like a type of a yoga flow where like okay. you know, like a centipede, walk out, lower yourself, press up. You come up into like, like a warrior stance, et cetera, et cetera. But the type of stuff I do, I, I can't even uh, explain to you. There, it, people wouldn't know it unless they're really heavy into, uh, into working out. But I do a lot of shoulder mobility, hip mobility. I would just say that for people listening in, just focus on mobility. Google or YouTube any mobility uh, YouTube video and just start working on your mobility. Don't think about weight. Don't think about, uh, you know, gaining or losing. Think about movement. Think about motion. Uh, if that's too much for you, dance, you know, put together a playlist for 20 minutes and dance. Me and my girl, we're going to take this online salsa class, like mix it up. Uh, but you got no rhythm. Huh? What are you doing? You can't dance. I, don't, I know I can't dance, but that's why I'm taking it, you know, because I don't you are horrible. do something I can already do. I'll be bored. You're, you're embarrassing <laughs> so, to the so black race. <laughs> you are embarrassing to the black race with no dance skills. I'm, I'm very mean. Frankenstein with my movements. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> I'm very stiff. I'm not going to lie. It's, I, I'm the tin man minus the oil. There's no, I'm, right? I'm at the beginning of the Wizard of Oz. So, uh, <laughs> but but that's why we practice, you know, and that's what makes it fun and makes it interesting is, is you know, I can't do it, you know, so, uh, but, you know, just if you, at the very least, get up and get your steps in, you know, get that vitamin D, go for a walk uh, first thing in the, in the, when you wake up, because you, you want to get the serotonin from the sun so that you can trigger your circadian rhythm. People think that going to bed at night is about like what you do right before you go to bed, but it really starts from the time you wake up. The sooner that you wake up, get outside and get actual sun on you, that's when you start to, that's when you trigger the the night, their circadian rhythm so that you can go to sleep at night. That's what's gonna help you produce that melatonin but we need the we need the serotonin to be produced as a precursor for the melatonin so that you can sleep at night. So first thing, go outside, get some vitamin D, get some fresh air and then do it again at lunch and then do it. Basically, go for a walk after every meal. If yeah. you can do that, that's that's the best advice I can give you, because everything else has to be really specific. And I got to show you and do demonstrations. But the best advice is go for a walk after every meal and go with the family. When I tell my clients that and they've never done it, they, they're always so happy about how they feel and what a difference it makes in the oh. conversations that they have and the stories that they tell. It's a great time to connect. Well, I, I, I remember when I was trying to get well because uh, I was in quarantine at home. I took walks, three or four walks every single day when I was quarantined in our house. And man, I felt amazing and time flew. And then I got back with my family. I'm like, God damn, it's slow (laughs) as hell right now. Like these days are dragging. But the months are speeding by though. It's like, damn, we're already, we're already in May. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it, it's bananas how fast things. I tell yeah. you, I, a quick story before we go. I tell you, uh, and you know this story, Leo. I think I've told you this before, but I was uh, talking to a, a much older gentleman. We were probably like 86 years old. And he goes, the older you get, time goes by faster. And I go, why is that? He says, and not in a bad way, but you have nothing to look forward to anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think we got in a discussion about this. Mm-hmm. And his his theory was, when you're young, you look forward to everything. Getting out of school, going back to school, Christmas, birthdays, friends' birthdays, going out at night, the weekend. Then as you get older, when time kind of, when there is no time, now you're kind of floating, so it goes by a lot faster. That well, was I'm glad, you, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I just purchased a 30-day certificates of achievement because I realized, like, I've, I've been doing these different 30-day challenges, whether it's meditation or a workout or whatever, and I have I, don't, I forget them. You know, you do these things, you forget them because, like you say, we're 44. Yeah. We got all these other things going on. You forget the things that the, your your W's and your wins. You don't. You're not getting the trophies anymore. You're not getting the high fives um, that you used to. And so I'm gonna start giving myself certificates and writing them out for myself so that I can remember the things that I've achieved no, yeah. and accomplished. Well, yeah. Well, because I remember, like uh, you know, we're we're comedians as well, and it's a thing where you talk to a lot of comedians that are doing well. But they're like, hey, man, my career is not moving. It's like, okay, where were you last year? Well, I couldn't even get into this. Well, you're in that club. Like just the little wins we forget about because we get so consumed with big wins. And I tell everybody, when you move to Hollywood, if you could take one thing from me, everybody moves to Hollywood says, I want to do this. But you should be like, I want to be on TV one day a week. Like my thing is, I just want to be on TV one day a week. Mm -hmm. Got that. Then it was two. Then my goal was four. Then, okay, I want a full-time TV gig. So when people just come to Hollywood and go, I want to be on TV, and then it takes them a while to get it, they feel like they're not accomplishing anything, you know? And then now... It's all about those incremental goals. Yes, and make goals, you can, make goals you can actually do. Mm-hmm. Don't make unrealistic goals because, like, your goal can be unrealistic, you know, aim for the stars on the on the goal at the end, but make steps where it's not just the goal. It's like like right now, I'm trying to break into acting because I've been hosting all this time. Stand-up comedian, uh, being a stand has broken open the doors for that. So when the industry kicks up, you know, I got some things lined up. But it was kind of like, let me get a great agent that really believes in me. That was the first step. Cause I was like, yeah, I want to, yes, I want to be in movies. Yes. I want to be on TV. Yes. I want to be one of the biggest actors, but without the right agent, you ain't getting none of that. Then you got to take the classes. I want to find the best acting coach where they believe in me. I want to find an acting coach that believes in me. Found that. Okay. Now I feel like I'm moving forward. My agent, I had a bunch of auditions the week I got sick. My next thing was, I just want to get in. Like I told, I told my agent, I don't even get me in the door. I don't even care if I get the job. I just want to impress casting agents right now. I don't care if I get booked. I know this is a long process. And so they did that. And, I, and I've and i impressed a lot of people. I made it to like second cuts, like where it's me in between somebody else. So I'm moving forward in that. My goal this year before COVID was even if I don't get an acting job, let me impress some people so they remember me as an actor, not just a host. So that was my goal. And that's a very realistic goal because that's all about you putting in the work and nobody else can determine like if you're going to be good when you go in, like they can say you're not right for the part, but they can't say you weren't good. You know what I mean? And, and where, where so much of this industry is no, what I like about stand up is the stage. Oh my God, no prejudice. Now there's prejudice in getting on a stage, I will admit that. But once you're on there, if you're funny, you're fucking funny. I don't care. You could be the biggest star in the world. They'll give you a minute, maybe two. But if you're not funny, you're not funny. You know what I mean? And that's what I love the stage. It's That's the thing I love about stand-up. Because when I first got in it, I was like, oh, shit. You, this is an equal ground. It's all about the work you put in. You know? And if you have some talent and then you keep refining it and 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 putting in the work you can excel past people that are not putting in the work 
that just want to say they're a comedian. And that's why I really loved it. Yeah, you you brought up some good points in terms of like, you know, setting goals, small incremental goals, small wins, and then also not just setting up small goals and small uh, wins, but also make sure you celebrate those small wins. Celebrate that that when you get on TV for the first time, you know, celebrate that. And when you when you get on TV two times a week, you celebrate those small wins because a lot of people don't take the time to do that, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm guilty of that. And that's one of the reasons why I bought this, it, you know, the, the certificates to, is because I was like, oh, man, I'm not taking time to celebrate my tiny wins. And then how do how do I expect I'm going to feel when I get the big win if I haven't if I can't even appreciate this moment? And, you know, the other thing is you, you definitely want to set those small incremental goals, but also have have those moonshots. Like, you know, for me, one of my moonshots is I want to go to all seven. I want to visit all seven continents. And I was going to knock that out this year before this COVID uh, took place. But I'm at five. So I have Australia and Antarctica left. Mm-hmm. So you want to have these things that you look forward to so that you're not you're not 65 or 70. Like, there's yeah, nothing to look forward to. That's like that's on you. That's you have to take the time to figure out what matters to you, what will get you out of bed in the morning, uh, what will light you up, will excite you, what will feed your soul. And it's not independent on someone giving it to you. You know, you have to have, I mean, we're, we're on this interdependent world, but you have to have goals that, you know, are based on other people's opinion, like, you know, getting booked on shows, but also have the goals for yourself, of whether it's planting petunias and watching those grow or making uh, you know, uh, rosemary bread, like whatever your goal is, have those goals for yourself so that you 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 have a purpose and a mission. You have a, an enthusiasm and lust for life. All right, Leo Flowers, where can people find you, bro? Man, go to thrivewithleo.com, thrivewithleo.com. Check that out for one-on-one coaching with me. And uh, my podcast is called Before You Kill Yourself. Before You Kill Yourself, it's on iTunes, it's on Stitcher. Uh, we, we're at almost 200 uh, episodes, and we have New York Times bestselling authors, comedians. Uh, we just had uh, tomorrow's episode is going to be with Robert Angel, who is the creator of the game Pictionary. So we're not just talking suicide. We're talking about how to thrive. We're talking about how to live. We're talking about giving you a reason to get out of bed in, in, in the morning and giving you a reason to, to tuck you in at night. So let's go. Thrive with Leo. That was your girl's idea, huh? <laughs> I know that wasn't you. It was. It was uh, a no. It wasn't reciprocity, Michael Yo. <laughs> yeah, you know what it was. It was her going. Thrive with Leo sounds really good, and you go, "Oh yeah, that that works." That, that's what your interaction was. I'll buy. I'll go to GoDaddy and buy that. That was you <laughs> buying it on GoDaddy. Nah, man, I'm happy for you. you uh, all, all is good. Yes, uh, thank you for being on the pod. For the rest of the people, remember. If you download the pod and listen, if you ever want to check out the videos, you can go to my Facebook page or my YouTube page. I put them on a couple of days before they come out on podcast. Appreciate all the love from the Joe Rogan show. Got so many more new followers, listeners, and everything like that. Uh, yeah, so if you do listen to the podcast, leave a comment. Uh, subscribe. It does so much. And five-star it up. That's all I got to say. All right, Leo, have a good one. Thank you, brother. Be good. Tell your girl hi, and I'll see you. I'll see you soon, bro. All right, brother. Be right. Later. And thanks to everybody else for watching. I really appreciate it. You can also support the podcast by getting a Michael Yo cap. If you want to rock it, it's on michaelyo.com. Everything I do is on michaelyo.com. Check it out. Love you guys. Bye.